You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in on the iTunes Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify. On today's show, I'm going to be focusing on three specific topics. All have to do with New York sports, and all, unfortunately, are set in a negative light. The three New York sports teams who are headlining the dumpster fire that is New York sports at the moment, the New York Giants, the New York Jets, and the New York Knicks. Now, there are different levels of dumpster fire, and we are going to discuss exactly what I mean by all of this. Some have a lot more to look forward to than others, but all do have a thing or two in common. Figuring out the leadership for their team, the coach, the front office, etc. Figuring out how to continuously add talent amongst other things with more specific on-the-court production. But realistically, if you look at these three teams, it's not very pretty. So we're going to discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and and what can happen here over the next year or so um, for these three teams to start figuring things out. So we're going to talk about the Giants, we're going to talk about the Jets, and we're going to talk about the Knicks. And if I had to rank them in hopelessness, it may start with the Jets, be the middle in the Giants, and actually have the most hope in the Mecca, in New York City itself, with the Knicks. But we'll discuss all of the specifics there and what I'm trying to say as we go on throughout the show. But if you like the show, don't be afraid to hit me up on Twitter at Kennedy with two Ys or at the Sport Blog New York Twitter at Sport Blog NYC. And always, if you like the show, it means the world to me. If you hit that subscribe button, drop a little rating, drop a review, uh, hearing from you guys who who tune in on a weekly basis, it means the world for me uh, to me. And Every single time I see something pop up in the reviews on iTunes, it makes my day, even if it's critical. I love to hear it, no matter what. So reach out on the Apple Podcast app and tell me what you think. But now it's time for the show with me, Pete Kennedy, on a solo pod, talking Giants, Jets, and Knicks. So now all I have to do is sit tight for the Sports Blog New York podcast right here. Stay tuned. Here we go, Sports Blog New York Podcast, Pete Kennedy, your boy, just me today, solo podcast, coming on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. Got a lot to talk about in regards to New York sports. There's a lot going on, um, mostly in the negative light, like I mentioned in the open there. Uh, we got to talk about the Giants, the Jets, and the Knicks. I was watching the, the Giants game Monday night with a bunch of friends, Jets and Giants fans alike, even a Cowboys fan sprinkled in there, and uh, it was a sad it was a sad ending, and realistically, despite being close in that game and having some things to root for, there really was a lot of things to be upset with and to be disappointed by. But it all starts at the top with all three of these organizations, the Giants, the Jets, and the Knicks, right? You mean, you can look at these players, you can look at the young guys, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, R.J. Barrett, and there's some things you can look at and get excited about, absolutely. But there seems to be some missing pieces from these organizations that is just holding them back consistently from getting over the hump. 
It's just consistently leaving them with something on the table, just leaving something to be desired night in, night out, it seems. Just for a quick one before I go in depth into each of the three uh, big teams here, I I mean, with the Giants, you get a pick on the first play of the game and you're in the red zone in the ten within the 10-yard line, and you got to end up with three. It's little things like that that just set you off. The New York Jets go to play the Miami Dolphins, and they're favored in a game, and Darnold's finally healthy now. He just They beat the Cowboys not too long ago, and, and everything's looking up with the easy schedule for the Jets, and they shoot themselves in the foot over and over again and lose to the winless Dolphins who realistically have no reason to even win a game this entire season. And then you go to the New York Knicks and, you know, in the first couple games they played a couple tight ones. They showed a lot of fight coming back in fourth quarters, making it close and, you know, maybe not winning games because they're probably not supposed to win these games, but they're showing effort. But then they show up to play teams that they could beat or teams that you would imagine that, you know, they'd at least compete with pretty closely. Teams like the Orlando Magic, Sacramento Kings, who also only had one win at the time they faced off, and then the Detroit Pistons just uh, on Wednesday night while I'm right when I'm recording this podcast. And they consistently have lost these games and in a lot of the cases didn't even come close. The closest game they played recently was actually against the best team they played recently, the Boston Celtics. And... You're not expecting the Knicks to win 40 games, 45 games, and be in the playoffs. That's not what I don't think any realistic fan is looking for. But when you play a team like the Kings only had one win, or actually they might have been winless at the time, when you play a team like the Pistons, who uh, are really struggling, or, I mean, actually, no, the Pistons aren't playing too bad, to be honest. But still, it was a four-point spread. You expect the Knicks to be in it, and, and they get blown out and lose by 20. It's these types of things that take anything that you're really hopeful about and and just knock it out of the park, not in a good way. <laughs> they, they, they make you forget about some of the positive things. And I think there are some parallels between these organizations that I want to discuss here because they just can't seem to get the little things right when it comes to the organization, which has consistently led to lackluster performances on the court by some players that we may actually even like, you know? So let's start with the New York Giants. Um, We'll go Giants, Jets, and finish off with the Knicks. The Knicks are obviously the freshest in my mind because I just watched them um, just get shot all over. Pistons shot a a fantastic percentage from deep because they were looking looking wide open a lot of the game. Uh, They're finishing plays with bad possessions where the Knicks are playing good defense and all of a sudden the Knicks foul with one second on the shot clock. It's brutal. So I'm going to save that for the end. and I'm going to hop over to the Giants and then the Jets. So you think about the Giants and their season thus far. Obviously, the first two games, you can just really throw them out, right? Eli Manning, um, his possibly last two starts as a giant quarterback, um, at least as the starting franchise quarterback, you just throw those out, right? And and we, we go to week three, and Daniel Jones and the Giants beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, go into week four, and they nearly shut out the Washington Redskins and win 24-3, to and, and all is good in giant land, right? You look at the national TV hosts uh, across the country, ESPN, Fox, everything. Oh, Daniel Jones, rookie of the year. This guy might be rookie of the year. He's he's the franchise quarterback. The Giants found the guy. Great move, Bench and Eli. All these things sound so great off the bat. 
for Daniel Jones and for the Giants. It's like, all right, maybe Gettleman uh, made something made something out of nothing here. We all thought he was a crazy old man who didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he was right and we were wrong. Maybe Pat Shermer is the guy who saw something in Daniel Jones and, and he's the guy to now bring him to become a true NFL franchise quarterback. But now we look, uh, you know, six, seven weeks later and the Giants have now lost uh, every game since week four and they seem to not be able to get anything right. And what does that come down to? is my question. The one thing I want to think about, and when I'm sitting with my friends watching the games, the one thing we kept talking about, it's like, who's to blame? Who's to blame here? And the same thing goes with the Jets, but we're going to stick to the Giants for now. Is Daniel Jones the franchise quarterback? Possibly. I think there's a strong chance he will be the Giants quarterback for the next 10 years. You know, I'm not going to say it's a 100% chance or a 90% chance, but I think it's, it's well over 60, I mean 50, maybe 65%. I think that's fair, right? I'm not trying to overreact here. The kid can do some things. Daniel Jones can make plays. He has a good enough arm. He has a feel for um, the the pocket and being able to manipulate it with his legs. He, he He's athletic. He can run. The turnovers come into effect. But the Giants' defense is a train wreck, right? That doesn't fall on Daniel Jones' shoulders. That kind of falls on Pat Shermer, but he's also an offensive guy. So is it then come down to Betcher, the defensive coordinator, to Gettleman, absolutely. And I think we're at this crossroads here with these three New York sports franchises where it almost doesn't matter how good or bad you may feel about certain players because the overall organization vibe is a losing vibe. And it's not, it's not encouraging winning sport play. And I say sport play because we're going to be talking about basketball, football play, basketball play. There's something missing here. So now that we have this quarterback in Daniel Jones, we have to now watch over this next year. We have to continue to see, obviously, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes, Danny Buckets, whatever you want to call him. Uh, If you realize people haven't been calling him Danny Dimes very often over the past couple weeks, obviously we're going to watch him and we're going to see how he looks, of course. But it's more important and it's, it's absolutely imperative for whoever's making the decisions on the coach if it's going to be the ownership because they're getting rid of Gettleman too, I doubt that. I think they're going to have to give him a leash. If it's going to be Gettleman, is that something that makes us comfortable? I don't know, but the first things are first here, and we have to look at Pat Shermer. Is he the coach who we like to run this offense, to run this team, to be the face of this organization? Because uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, though he hasn't been completely healthy, he hasn't been the explosive guy we got used to seeing last year. The wide receiving core has been hurt um, basically all year. Another thing that doesn't fall on Daniel Jones' shoulders but is true. And the offensive line, though better, still is not good. They're, they're average, right? At best. At best. So we have to watch Pat Shermer over the course of this next uh, couple weeks, and we have to see what Dave Gettleman's going to do. Is he going to sell off some parts like he did last year when he, when he traded um, Snacks Harrison and when he traded um, some other guys, traded Landon Collins, or Landon Collins walked in the offseason and he didn't get traded. But uh, is, is that what's, what's going to happen here with the Giants? Are they going to play any competitive games for the rest of the year? 
Because you don't need to see the Giants win a lot of games now. It's not what it's all about anymore. But you need to see building blocks. You need to see positive culture, positive vibes, um, positive playmaking on the field on both ends of the floor. Because if Daniel Jones is the guy, which I'll give to any fan right now, right, that what's going to happen moving forward? Because at this point last year for the New York Jets, Sam Darnold started really taking off. In the last like six weeks of the season, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and that's not hyperbolic. The statistics show it. He had one of the best passer ratings in the league towards the end of the season. So Daniel Jones can look great at certain points of the season, but if the organizational leadership is not up to par, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. If the Giants can't figure it out and can't consistently put good efforts on the field, and instead we have guys like Janoris Jenkins and Antoine Bethea just giving up on plays in a tight, contested game. If we're going to have Pat Shermer challenging uh, pass interference calls that everybody, as soon as he threw the flag, said, why are you doing that? That's the problem. Daniel Jones can be a great young quarterback, but if the leadership isn't there, it doesn't matter. You know, I wanted to be on Shermer's side. When I watched him as the OC for the Vikings, I loved what they were able to accomplish on offense. It made me want to give him more than the benefit of the doubt coming to the New York Giants. And last year, what he was able to do with Saquon, even though obviously he's got a ton of touches and Saquon is just otherworldly, um, I, I, I had some reason to believe what a quarterback whose name wasn't Eli Manning, maybe he could do something else. And for a couple weeks there, it did look pretty good. So... It's a very hard task to judge a rookie quarterback and a coach who's realistically coaching for his job because having those two things tied together is not a match made in heaven. If Obviously, if Shermer can get Jones going, cut down the turnovers, and all these things, maybe that's saving Shermer's uh, job as the New York Giants head coach. But with Daniel Jones running around and fumbling the ball and throwing his fair share of interceptions, is that fair on Shermer? Is that a fair uh, way to assess a coach in his second year as the head coach of the Giants with a guy who has uh, seven games under his belt? Is that fair as well? I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm happy I don't have to make that decision, but what I assume right off the bat and just being the outsider looking in and just watching these games on Sundays and, and watching these press conferences, I don't think I don't think he's the guy. And that makes me sad because I always want to give the coach the benefit of the doubt. I always want to say, you know, this coach has something going. He has a good uh, charisma in front of the microphone. But Shermer, he's just lacking in a little bit on each section of what it means to be a head coach. He's just lacking a little bit. He He's a respectful respectful guy. Like He, he sounds pretty smart when talking about football. He kind of seems to know what he's talking about. Kind of seems to, though. I see those caveats I have to throw in there. And then in moments of contention, when he does kind of lose his cool a little bit, it doesn't seem to me like the motivating losing of the cool. Like Mike Tomlin may get. When Mike Tomlin is at a press conference and he's a little bit fired up, I can imagine his team looking out at that press conference and being like, that's our guy. He's leading us. He's going to take the heat for us. When I see Shermer go in a, a press conference and he's a little bit ticked off, sometimes it feels like a little bit of a blame game. Sometimes it feels like he's saying, you know, 
we we called the right and he doesn't say this obviously word for word but what i get the vibe of is yeah you know we called the right thing but uh it has to be better it has to be executed better or you know we have to make more plays blah 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 that's not exactly what you want when you're talking about a leader of a team a leader of a franchise i don't know if i get strong leader vibes out of pat Shermer. they use this uh term uh, um, in like sports radio and all these different things um coordinator face Right, and I didn't think Shermer was a coordinator face guy, like a guy who looks like his peak is to be a really good coordinator, focus on what he's good at. You don't need to be the face of an organization and just stick with that. And I didn't think he was one of those guys, but I'm starting to become afraid that Pat Shermer may be better off just handling his offense, just focusing in on that, because I don't get the strong leadership vibes out of Shermer. I don't get the vibes that these guys, these players, um, all 54 of them, 55 of them, whatever it is, are going out onto the field and saying, you know, we've been working this hard all year. We're leaving it out on the field every single Sunday or Monday night or whatever it is. I, when I see the effort on defense, I feel like there maybe is a disconnect between Shermer and he's focusing on the offense, and there isn't that much juice on the defense. Same thing um, with some of the offensive talent. There's not a lot of spark. There's not a lot of energy, and it all starts at the top. Now, Gettleman will probably have the benefit of the doubt of sticking around another year or two and maybe getting to pick another head coach in this situation here. And I don't know if that's good. I'm not ready to just absolve David Gettleman for uh, making some trades for guys he didn't like or uh, guys he just wanted to dump their salary for picks or Jabril Peppers and whatever. The Zeitler move was good. We got Jabril Peppers in the trade. He's not that great, whatever. Gettleman's kind of stuck here, in my opinion. I don't love him. I don't really like him that much either. But I think he's stuck here. And we can't really uh, burn him down and run him out of town until he has this another offseason. And God forbid he picks another head coach. He's going to be stuck here for another year or two. But with Shermer, I'm starting to get that vibe that he's on his way out after this season. And that means Daniel Jones will be on his second head coach, his second coordinator, in two years, and that is not typically the recipe for success. And using that as a segue to my next topic, the New York Jets, Sam Darnold will likely have his third head coach and his third offensive coordinator after this season. I'm not saying guaranteed yet. I'm not ready to go there. Because when you look at this Jets schedule, and it sounds very silly to say, based off of how the game went against Miami last week. The Jets have a chance to win some games here. They really do. And and I know it's hard to comprehend after they just threw up that wacky bad performance against the Dolphins, but it's truly possible for the Jets to win four games out of the next uh, seven, right? Listen to the games they got coming up. They got the Giants. They got the Redskins. They got the Raiders, the Bengals, the Dolphins, Ravens, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. Now, you think about those teams right off the bat. Ravens, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, the last three games of the season are not games where the Jets will be remotely favored, even with the Steelers, with uh, Mason Rudolph. They're a 500 team with a good defense. But the Giants, the Redskins, the Bengals, the Dolphins are four very winnable games. Now, have the Giants looked a little bit better than the Jets? Absolutely, but if you're going to tell me here that you're guaranteeing a Giants victory, I don't think you've been watching the Giants much either. And that's why it's so fitting to do this podcast this week, because they're facing off. 
they face off this week, we get to see the two franchises who have been struggling for to find consistency for the past five years now. Struggling to find their answer at quarterback, they might have it, but the people leading those quarterbacks may be wrong. That's why this is the perfect time to do this podcast. Now, can you ever imagine a quarterback who has three head coaches and three offensive coordinators in his first three years finding consistent success? I I see people bashing on Sam Darnold. I see people criticizing him for sometimes trying to make too big a play and, and throwing the ball into some dangerous situations. I get that. I'm not trying to say he's a perfect quarterback. But I am in no way ready, in no way even considering trashing on Darnold to the point where I'm going to think about the Jets going for another quarterback. What I think happens here, if people who are talking about you know, the worst of the worst for the Jets, if they do get the first overall pick or they do get the second overall pick, third over, overall pick, which is very possible, like I just uh, talked about their schedule, they do have a chance to, to win some games and not be the worst team in the league. But if they're in the top three and they're in line for a quarterback, and there are going to be other teams who are looking for quarterbacks, as there are every single season. Are they better off dumping on Sam Darnold after two years with no consistency in the front office, no consistency with the coaching staff, a guy who has shown flashes of being a great down-the-ball, down-the-field thrower, a guy who can extend plays, be tough in the pocket, and, and really make giant plays on offense? Are you ready to move off that guy just because he's had two coaches, one of which who was a defensive head coach in Todd Bowles, and the other one in Adam Gase, who all of you Jets fans who are also saying, screw Darnold, are also saying Adam Gase is a wreck. So you're ready to dump off Sam Darnold, who had a fantastic end of the season last year in his rookie season, um, for getting mono and having a coach who you're describing as trash? I'm not, I'm not here for that. I am not ready to start saying Sam Darnold is part of the problem. In my opinion, he is the only part of the solution at this point. What happened here with the Jets is very simple um, when you think about this offseason. First things first, they had a GM who did the draft, Mike McCagnan, and also helped hire a coach in Adam Gase. Now, the effect he had on that decision is uh, not fully known. It was definitely not all uh, Mike McCagnan's decision to bring in Adam Gase. That's pretty clear since they got rid of him shortly after that, which is just, it's a crazy, crazy concept. And this... (laughs) I'm laughing to myself because this is more of why this podcast is perfect. The Jets had a GM who did the draft, and then they fired him after he brought in a new coach. The Knicks, who I'll talk about in a little bit, Phil Jackson drafted Frank Nielakina and then (laughs) got let go as well. It's ridiculous some of the incompetent things that has happened to some of these New York organizations. And I shouldn't even say has happened. Because they did it to themselves. It is self-afflicted wounds. Self-inflicted. I don't know what the word word is there. But if you're ready to dump on Sam Darnold and say move on, tank for Tua, and all these things, I, I can't accept that opinion as accurate or smart or wise because Sam Darnold has proven to be a, a franchise 
quarterback in the making. He just has no one making him. He has no one helping him out. He doesn't have one consistent receiver on the team. Maybe you can say Jamison Crowder, who is a glorified, you know, like number two, number three guy who happens to be getting a fair share of targets. He's a great little slot receiver, good technician on routes and all that stuff. He's not a number one. Robbie Anderson on a lot of teams would be a number three, deep threat only, you know? Chris Herndon, his tight end, who people actually do like a lot, can't get on the field. Le'Veon Bell, who obviously is talented and has shown, he showed it early in the season before Sam got sick, that he still has tons of heart and tons of talent and, and can still make plays. He hasn't been able to get more than two yards because the Jets' O-line is so bad that um, they either, with the run, they're getting stuffed, or when they get into the pass plays, Sam Darnold is dumping off with no time or getting hit every single play, and, and Le'Veon Bell has nowhere to go. So even his best talent, Le'Veon Bell, is not set up for success. I mean, uh, be, be honest with me, and be honest with yourself. When you watch the Jets, do you truly believe this is Sam Darnold's fault? Do you say that when you're watching the game? Because when I watch the Jets, I think about their defense— I mean, I think about, I'm sorry, the first thing I wanted to say was not the defense. It was, I think about their offensive line. When you have a guy like Le'Veon Bell and he's averaging two yards a carry, I'm sorry, it's not Le'Veon Bell's fault. It's a mixture of the play calling, the coaching staff, and the offensive line just not being talented enough. It's not Sam Darnold's fault. And next year, if you don't get to a tongue of Vilola, or you don't go for Herbert, or any of the other quarterbacks that are in the draft this year, and you stick with Sam Darnold, which is what I think will most likely happen, what I think should happen here, especially with the fact I don't believe the Jets are going to have the number one, number two pick. That's okay. But now it turns to one guy. One guy becomes extraordinarily important in this equation, and that's Joe Douglas, the now GM of the New York Jets, who has little to no imprint on this entire organization to this point. Other than, you know, his actual personality around the team right now, whatever that could be from a GM's perspective, um, right now, how is he rubbed off on Gates? How is he rubbed off on the rest of the organization? Does he promote a positive workforce? Blah, 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 blah. Sure. Like any, that's, that's it, though. Like, that's the extent of what he has been able to put on this team right now because he wasn't here for the draft. He wasn't here for the offseason and all that stuff. So he becomes extraordinarily important here. If he decides to fire Adam Gase, which is very possible, who's he bringing in? Is he going for Mike McCarthy? Because there's really two ways to go here. It's the proven guy who's been around the block, who maybe has won some stuff in his day, like Mike McCarthy. Or it's, you know, dig off a, a Belichick tree, dig off the Sean McVay tree, dig off the Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan tree, all that stuff, or the Andy Reid tree. These are now the things that are popular. It, it's... It's you go with a guy who's been around, like Mike McCarthy, or you just go to a coach who is really good and take one of his assistants, right? Which way is Joe Douglas going to go? I don't know the right answer to that. We don't know yet who the, the true candidates are. We don't know who's going to be fired, who, uh, what college coach could possibly be in the running, if that's a thing. But is Joe Douglas going to take a risk on a young guy who may not have the experience, a guy who maybe has been an assistant and never been a head coach, or is he going to go for that proven head coach who's been around but maybe the game's passed him by. There's a couple things that can happen there. But Jets fans, I know, I understand you're frustrated. I know you're frustrated. 
I know you're disappointed. This is supposed to be a year where, you know, playoffs probably weren't realistic, but seven wins was realistic. And then Sam Darnold gets sick. Luke Falk starts like three games, <laughs> which is, is sad. The poor guy. I mean, he stood no chance. He stood no chance. So I get it. I understand the frustration. I'm out here trying to root for the Giants. We had two good weeks. Daniel Jones was rookie of the year, going straight to the Hall of Fame. And now you don't. Have you heard about him? Have you heard about Daniel Jones since? No. If you have, it's been about uh, his fumbling issues. So for Jets fans, when you watch the rest of this season, you have to take a few things out of your vocabulary. You have to take the blame on Sam Darnold. I mean, of course, if he just looks lost again and continues to see ghosts and this and that, it is another situation. But if he just tries to make plays, and that play before the half against the Dolphins, like a play like that, obviously not a great decision. Obviously not what he wanted to accomplish there, one he wants back. If he if he makes a play like that twice a game, all right, you know what? He'll have to wear that one on the, on the sleeve. He'll have to earn that one uh, and make up for it moving forward. That's one thing. But if he's playing like he has played over the past couple weeks since he's been back from the sickness— this is not about Sam Darnold. It's about the organization. It's about the offensive line. It's about Joe Douglas moving forward and does Adam Gase hang around. And uh, you know what? They're probably not going to fire Adam Gase in the middle of the season because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, fire Adam Gase, Greg Williams is the guy who's going to make this team play hard and blah, blah, blah. We've seen this before. We saw it last year. Greg Williams became the interim head coach of the Browns and uh, things were pretty and all fine and dandy. And guess what? The Browns didn't bring him back. And maybe the Browns uh, aren't the best organization to compare decisions to, right? They're not doing a great job themselves. But Greg Williams isn't the answer here. If you're just so sick of Adam Gase that you think he's so toxic that he's going to ruin the organization, even if he gets fired after one year, I, I just don't think that's how it works. I don't think it's true. The turnover on these rosters, the turnover on these coaching staffs, it's impossible that if Adam Gase... Uh, was here for one year, that he affected a team in that negative of a matter moving forward. All right? So if you're out here on Twitter every Sunday saying, get rid of Adam Gase, make Greg Williams the head coach, the interim head coach, maybe bring him back, we've been down this road before. Greg Williams has done some really awesome stuff with defenses in the past. He has been uh, a solid leader uh, of men at certain points, but he obviously has his flaws, and there's a reason he's been on so many teams now in the past, because he's a fiery guy. He's not a guy everyone likes to get get along with. Players seem to play for him a little bit. Uh, but like I said, he's not the guy. I can put money on it right now. If Adam Gase gets fired tomorrow and Williams is the interim head coach, he still will not be the head coach next year and moving forward. He's just not that guy. He really isn't. So take what you can with the Jets. Take what you can from Sam Darnold. Take what you can from some of the other young first-round picks, and by that I mean like the two or three that remain on the team, Quinn and Williams and uh, Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams, basically, is what I meant by that. Because I know it's tough, but there's some things to look forward to, and it starts, with, it starts and ends with Sam Darnold. If you're here ready to tell me that you want to get rid of him, I, don't, I don't actually I just don't want to hear it. I, I don't. I don't want to hear it at all. All right? So... I do understand, but we do get to see the Jets and Giants face off um, at MetLife this weekend. The Jets are currently two and a half point underdogs as the home team, which is obviously you know silly. 
the Jets season ticket holders do get first dibs, but it'll obviously be split up with Jets and Giants fans alike. Two and a half point spread. I don't know how you make a spread on this game. I guess the Giants have been better. I mean, the Giants haven't won a game in six weeks, and the Jets beat the Cowboys not too long ago. Uh, I don't know how you make a spread on this game, but I guess the Jets just lost to the Dolphins, so you give the Giants the benefit of the doubt. Um, but if the Giants keep getting to the red zone and not being able to score, it's, I'm, I'm going to be upset about it because then that starts to tell me uh, Shermer's not the guy, and maybe that's the thing we need to find out. So I don't know. I, basically, th- my main point here with the Jets and the Giants is don't even work yourself up. It's not worth getting all worked up every Sunday right now. It's just not. It's just not. Hang your hat on some of the good things you see. Hang your hat on Sam Darnold making a throw to Robbie Anderson down the field or Jameson Crowder. Hang your hat on Daniel Jones not fumbling when he scrambles or Saquon making a nice play. But maybe, just maybe, if Shermer doesn't do the job, if Gase continues to not do the job, you get your wish, and those guys are gone. And then it's over and over again with this process of trying to find the right leadership. I just don't trust these guys yet. I don't trust Gettleman. Douglas gets the benefit of the doubt until he starts messing up. But it's hard to trust the infrastructure of these two organizations at this point. Growing up, for me, the Giants were always a respected organization. How much How much of that was Tom Coughlin? Maybe more than we expected. But since the last Super Bowl with Eli Manning, the Giants have been consistently inconsistent and consistently bad. <laughs> like they, they just haven't been that good. And it starts at the top with the Jets and with the Giants. And it's tough to watch. But I just urge you, don't kill yourself right now. Because this season's over. Take the positives. Take what you like. Hang your hat on it and move forward. Because these off-seasons is when it really starts to take place now. And I know you've heard that before. And I know it's uh, been happening with the Jets for the past couple years. I know it's been happening with the Giants for the past couple years. Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer. I get it. Uh, Jerry Reese to Dave Gettleman. Now McCagnan to Joe Douglas. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. But when you watch on Sundays, don't be blaming Daniel Jones. Don't be blaming Sam Darnold. Because every single time they have a good week, you're out here singing their praises. This kid's rookie of the year. Sam Darnold, the franchise quarterback we needed. Everything's good. The Jets are going to win eight games. Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley. Blah. <laughs> like, you can't have it both ways, people. You just can't. You can't come out here when the Jets beat the Cowboys and say, we're back on track. This guy's our guy. Maybe Gase isn't that bad. Like, you, you just can't have it both ways. You just can't. And I'm sick of hearing about it, to be honest. But that brings us to the Knicks. The New York Knicks, man. I love them. I love them so much. I really do. I love watching them, even though it's never that exciting. Nah, that's not true. That's not true. I'm not going there. I'm not saying that. The Knicks, though. Very interesting. I don't want to say crossroads just because it's too early in the season. There's too many things to happen uh, before we even hit the quarter point of the season. You know, with the NFL, we're halfway there. It's it's about to be week 10. It's week 10. We're more than halfway there. I can say about Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold 
we're not blaming them, right? I can with confidence say I'm not blaming Daniel Jones for this season. I'm happy with him. If anything, we just have to decide who's leading Daniel Jones and who's making the decisions on the guys to play with him. Same thing for Sam Darnold. I'm, you know, I'm not mad that Sam Darnold got mono. It happens, you know. It's a dangerous sickness, right? You know, it's a, it's a different situation. We're half of the way down the road here with with the NFL season. I can be very curious and watch about the decision making making and the play play calling with Adam Gase and and Pat Shermer and all that stuff. But I'm not ready to say with the Knicks like I'm gonna just blow up the season and it's irrelevant like all this stuff because it was already not about winning it. Right, it's not about making the playoffs with the Knicks this season. It's about taking those steps, and I've been very consistent with my points about the Knicks since last season and and last draft and um, the off season and all this stuff. Because when we brought in all these guys in the off season, I, I was proud that the only person they paid long term was Julius Randle. All these other guys, Marcus Morris, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, Reggie Bullock, who hasn't played a game yet, by the way, um, and Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis. These guys are all two-year deals, the second year being a team option, so essentially a one-year deal unless the team wants to keep them around for another one. So I'm for that. Like I was happy the front office didn't, after not getting Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or whoever, I'm happy they didn't just pay way too much for people who are not going to put this team over the hump. They gave a, I think, reasonable contract to Julius Randle, who's had a, you know, not a great start, but he he's... Just pressing a little bit. I, I expect him to be better as the season rolls around. But the main problem when the Knicks did sign all these guys that I, I glossed over just a little bit because I was happy that the Knicks brought in some NBA talent uh, to the roster because all these guys are NBA players, right? If you look at Wayne Ellington, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris, they're NBA players. They're going to play on any team they're on, basically, give or take. You know, maybe if Wayne Ellington's on like a stud team, he might only play 10 minutes a game. Who knows? But you get the gist of what I'm saying here. The problem that I may have glossed over just a little bit when talking about the offseason, and I got to the point once the season was about to start talking about the Knicks, and I, I did the podcast with Dan Favalli a couple weeks back, really previewing them and, and saying what could be like the biggest letdown of the season. And this is when I started to get to this point, when right around when the season was going to start, and I realized the distribution of minutes is just an extreme, extreme challenge, and it makes David Fisdale's life really hard, right? Like, it makes it very challenging. In the first couple games of the season, like, Frank couldn't get on the court, and Knicks fans want to see Frank, and I think the Knicks should want to see Frank because if he doesn't start to turn it around, they need to make that decision on if they're going to keep him around, right? It's pretty simple. You know, if you're not even going to let the guy play this year in his third season at 21 years old, then get rid of him now. Trade him now for whatever the hell you can get before you just let his uh, value rot on the bench, right? So now they're playing him, and Frank looks fine. I'm not ready to get into specific players. I'm trying to talk overarching at this point here. Um, what I got worried about was how Fizz is going to distribute these minutes. It's it's hard, right? You, if you think about each position right now, the point guard position is a, is a wash. We almost don't have to think about it right now at this very moment because Dennis Smith has been absent with the uh, unfortunate death of his family member. Um, Alfred Payton's now hurt. So it really is just Frank and R.J. Barrett playing point guard. And uh, even uh, Alonzo Trier isn't really in the lineup very much, even though he's not a true point guard. But then you get to the wing spots, and that's where it gets really interesting um, 
And also Damian Dotson. Like, what? Like, he can't get on the court? And I mean, I know Damian Dotson is not lighting the world on fire, but he's a guy who plays hard defense. He helps out rebounding for a little guy. He can shoot the ball. He can put the ball uh, on the floor and attack closeouts and and little pick and roll stuff. Like he's not a he's not a bad player. I think he's also an NBA talent, right? But then moving on to the wing spot, and it's the most important spot on this team because as much as I want to see Damian Dotson play whole team dot I, all that stuff, right? It's not as much about Damian Dotson as it is about Kevin Knox. Now I don't think Kevin Knox needs to start. I'm not saying he needs needs to start. Like have like basically starting in the NBA is great, but if you play the minutes and you close games, you're essentially a starter. I have the Clippers on in the background while I'm doing this podcast right now. Lou Williams happened to start tonight because Kawhi's out. I think he starts when Kawhi's out. Maybe flip the lineup around a little bit. Um, Lou Williams is essentially a starting player, even if he's not in the starting lineup. Same thing for Montrezl Harrell when he was uh, coming off the bench last year. These guys are starting players. They're closing games. They're playing big minutes. They're playing 30 minutes a night. All this stuff. So for Kevin Knox, and he's playing 23 minutes a game, that's not a small number, but if you want to unleash this guy, and especially since he's been playing pretty damn well so far this season, I mean, he's only scoring 10 points a game, but that's with not a ton of minutes. Kevin Knox is shooting 41% from three-point land. Like, that's really good. What did you want to see out of Kevin Knox uh, after last year? More efficiency, more uh, confidence attacking the rim. And he showed both of those things, and it hasn't led to him getting more minutes, right? So if you're the Knicks organization, and obviously Fizdale's coaching to win games, as much as people want to say an organization could be tanking or not, like Fizdale's coaching to win games, even if it doesn't look like it, in his head, maybe he's thinking, you know, Morris does more on defense. Uh, we got to get Portis involved. He can do more rebounding and defense. And and um, same thing with, obviously, Randall's going to play a lot of minutes. He's probably the best player on the team. R.J. Barrett's playing the most minutes on the team. So all, the, all these things could be true, but when you really do think about what's most important here, it's people like Kevin Knox being on the court as much as possible. Same thing for Mitchell Robinson and his foul trouble and now concussion uh, is another conversation. So this situation for David Fisdale is not easy, and I would never say that it is. When you have a roster, I was saying I was comparing the Knicks to the Nuggets in the sense that the Nuggets have this roster where like their their twelfth and thirteenth guy can be playing on most teams, right? Because that's that just doesn't happen, right? Juancho Hernan Gomez, if he was on a regular team and not one of the best teams in the Western Conference, he'd probably be playing fifteen minutes a night. He sometimes gets coaches DMPs just because there's too many good guys there. The the Knicks are like the inverse of that, if that makes sense, where they're also overstacked with players who probably should be on the court. Just instead of having too many good guys, they have too many guys who are like just average enough to be NBA players. So when you have this situation with Wayne Ellington's and Bobby Portis's and Marcus Morris's and Taj Gibson's, what's more important? Playing guys who we basically know who they are. Like, Bobby Portis is pretty young, but we kind of know who he is. He's a guy who's a, a solid shooter who can get hot. He's a decent little rebounder. He can do some other things than just shoot on offense. But he's not a special player. He's not going to put this team to the next level. Now, granted, um, the one win they have this season is largely due to Bobby Portis getting hot and hitting a bunch of big shots and making plays on offense. But again... It's not about winning that one game for the Knicks this year. It's about building that culture and building that 
that team-wide effort to grow some of the younger players. Because Bobby Portis may be better than Kevin Knox right now. But who has a chance to be the better player in three years? It's Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox is in his second year. He's a, a high draft pick, and he has shown sides, uh, signs of getting better from his, his rookie season. He's shooting over 40% from three. I think he's been attacking the rim much, with much more strength and confidence. He's making better decisions. He's not turning the ball over uh, at a ridiculous margin. He looks a little bit stronger, and obviously that's going to come as he turns 22 and 23 and 24, etc. But that is like the the case study for me is Kevin Knox. Because obviously R.J. Barrett uh, has earned maybe not all 40 minutes that he plays seemingly every night because that's just a, a lot. But he's earned his time on the floor. He's playing really hard. He's basically their point guard most of the time. He takes contact going to the rim. He's been shooting pretty well. R.J. Barrett got those number, uh, those minutes up, and he's going to keep getting those minutes, as Fizdale's made clear in his press conferences. But I look at Mitch Robinson. I look at Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina, and when Dennis Smith Jr. comes back, it is absolutely imperative for those guys to play. If you're going to roll out a lineup with Wayne Ellington, Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, all in at once, even with, with RJ and Julius Randle, or with Frank and Randle, or whatever, or, or and Taj Gibson in there, and you're still going to lose by 20, it's, it's not for long that that's going to be acceptable, right? If Marcus Morris, Portis, if Morris, Portis, Gibson, and uh, Ellington are out there making great plays and they're tight games and maybe they sneak a couple out and they're winning games, then obviously, shout out to you, Fizz. You're doing some good things. You're doing some good things. But if you continue to lose by 20 to a team like the Pistons, who's not the Sixers, not the Nuggets, not the Lakers, it's a team that's probably going to be like a 7 or 8 seed in the Eastern Conference, that's not acceptable. And then Kevin Knox should be playing 32 minutes a game, 34 minutes a game. Then Frank Nilakina should be playing 28 minutes a game, and you should be encouraging him to shoot. Because where's the future of this franchise? It's not in Wayne Ellington uh, running all around screens and chucking threes. It's not the future of the team. Wayne Ellington is a, is a nice piece. He's a nice piece on a good team. When he can be the ninth guy on a team, he tries on defense, he knows what he's doing, and he can hit threes. But he's not the guy on a team that's expected to win 27 games. He doesn't matter on this team. He's 32 years old. He's going to average at most nine points for the Knicks, I feel like. At most. He's averaging like six right now. He's shooting his worst three-point percentage of his career. So even if that goes up to uh, his career percentage of like 37, 38%, like what it should be, you know, he's averaging seven, eight points a game. He's not the future. Taj Gibson is a great piece to have on the team culture-wise, plays hard, rebounds, plays defense, um, positive influence, I would expect, on Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle and in the on the organization as a whole. A nice guy to have. But he's not the future of this team. Marcus Morris uh, has been a culture setter, seemingly, for this team. I don't know if that's a great thing, an okay thing, or a bad thing. It can be a little bit of each. But is he the future of this team? Do you imagine Marcus Morris still on this team in 2022 when this team is hopefully a, a playoff team? I don't. I imagine Julius Randle on this team. Maybe he can be traded. I imagine R.J. Barrett on this team. I imagine Kevin Knox on this team. And that might be it. It might just be Knox, Barrett, 
and Mitchell Robinson. But because those are the three, the top three pieces that I see when I watch this team that could be future cornerstones or future people that guys around the league say, I want, you know what? I want to play with those young guys. I want to play with RJ Barrett. He's really a better playmaker than I expected. He's passing the ball. I want to play with Kevin Knox. That guy can knock down shots, contested or not. I want to play with Mitchell Robinson. He's going to protect my ass when I get beat on a pick and roll, and he's going to block some shots. I don't think uh, any guys are saying, yo, I want to go play with Wayne Ellington. I want to go play with Marcus Morris. I want to go play with Bobby Portis. Those things are not happening. So whether the Knicks want to be the full tankathon that they may be by accident just because they're not good, or whether the Knicks want to become one of these teams like the Nets or the Clippers or the Nuggets or the Hawks who are kind of ticking up in that direction or the Mavericks who really do build a solid culture with a top-to-bottom uh, no-hole roster where they're able to compete with, with the best of the best and beat the teams who are not very good and then you gain that one last piece. You know, like the Nuggets got a, a Paul Millsap because Paul Millsap obviously isn't a, a Kevin Durant-level free agent, but he's an all-star. And he said, you know what, these Nuggets, not only are they going to pay me, they're a damn good team. I would like to play with them. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, so the Nets. Not only are we going to get paid and get to be in New York, but they're a nice team with a good culture. Kawhi Leonard. Not only do I get to go home to L.A. and play for the Clippers, but that team's pretty good. And I can take a night off and uh, Lou Williams drop 30. And I'll bring Paul George with me. When and if the Knicks become one of these teams... Yeah, whether the the full tank and just get a couple more young picks, Cole Anthony or whoever it could be, uh, to boost up with a bunch of young guys and they become a young, talented team, or if they start being, you know, a really solid team, um, with just good, consistent players across the board, maybe a a budding star in R.J. Barrett. Teams aren't coming to play with uh, Bobby Portis and Marcus Morris. They're not coming to play with Wayne Ellington. And that's why it's absolutely imperative for Kevin Knox to play 30 minutes a game. Now, and same thing for Mitchell Robinson. Now, what are the goals for the Knicks this year? It's exactly that. Exactly what I just described. You should never be expecting the Knicks to win 36 games, 37 games, and sneak into an eight seed. It's not happening. Tried to tell you early on in the over-under podcast, if they have a really nice season and compete more than we expected and do some nice things, they're still going to win 35 games at most. At most. And if you don't know that by now, let me tell you this. They have the second-worst point differential in the league through seven games. Second-worst in the league. Only in front of the Memphis Grizzlies. They're not going above and beyond the wins. So David Fisdale, if you want to be the head coach of this team, you want to continue to be the face of this franchise from a from a, a coaching standpoint, whatever you want to say, these rotations, though very challenging, are the number one thing that need to be figured out. Because I think R.J. Barrett, I think Kevin Knox, I think they're developing. I, I, I look at those two guys as people who are looking to add to their game, who are prideful, who, who don't just want to be slouches or average players. They want to be really good players, especially R.J. Barrett. So you might have something there, Fizz. And I really like Fizz, man. I really do. These rotations, though, are going to be what makes or breaks him. So it's very early 
for the next season. And I don't mind seeing these guys play. But if they're outpacing Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina and Alfred Payton even, who's not, who's not old, if some of these older guys are really outpacing in minutes and outpacing in dominance of the ball, it's going to start to get old when you're still losing by 15 points on uh, Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights and Sunday nights and whatever you play. So, Fizz, I'm not counting you out. I'm just identifying the biggest issue right here. Because Mills and Perry, they did something this offseason that I don't, I don't want to say it was safe, but it was it was on the safe side of decision-making with the, the opportunity to kind of paint it uh, in your own picture right here. And now does this team become a scrappy, competitive, fiery team that people like to watch? Or do they stay a crap show who loses by 20 to the Detroit Pistons? I think Fizz does some things this season and is able to make this team look respectable. But so far, not so good. The rotations are a little funky. I need to see some more of the young guys. And it's pretty simple in that regard. So New York Knicks, I look forward to watching them every night, as as I do, you know. But I also look forward to seeing the Jets and Giants play on this Sunday. Again, Giants favorite two and a half. I think uh, I think I'm gonna take the Jets. I I just kind of like. I just kind of think it's gonna be a close game, and people are counting out the Jets. And I love nothing more that when a team really like blows it, like really blows it, the week before. I I, I like the bounce back. I'm I'm a fan of the bounce back. I went with that on the Rockets the other night when they got beat pretty good. Um, gave up a crap load of points as they tend to do this season. Go to the Timberwolves uh, at Minnesota next night. You know, I said, you know what? They're b- bounce back game. They just got embarrassed. You come back with some pride. I think the Jets do that. I don't think the J- Giants got quite as embarrassed as the Dolphins because they still got pretty embarrassed as well. So it's kind of tough to say. I don't know. I'm not betting on that game. You'd be an absolute lunatic to bet on that game in any which way just because like you're you're talking about the two teams that can't even lose right. They can't even lose right. You know what I'm saying? I had the Jets in a 10-point teaser the other night, and they they put... They were up. They were down by nine, and get a safety to go down eleven. They can't even lose, right? Thank God they went back and kicked the field goal and, and covered the tees. I mean, really, it's ridiculous. I, if you bet on this game, all the power to you. I I cannot get myself to do it, even though I'll be locked in to watch it on Sunday afternoon. But this has been the Sports Block New York podcast. We have more to talk about as the season goes on. NBA is really getting to the swing of it. I'll have the outsiders back with me next week to talk some hoops uh, across the league. And maybe we'll talk about some Knicks as well because there's some things to talk about there. And it's really the Knicks can become part of this case study in the NBA where it's like, do you just tank, 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 build up the young guys and hope they get good enough to uh, become winners? Or do you have to to fight and be a little mediocre and then hit on some some picks or make some good trades? There's a real argument happening uh, here in the NBA. So you have to have to think about that. And the Knicks are at a crossroads in the sense of are they going to do whatever they can to win 35 games and build this culture? Or are they going to do what they can to continue to win 21 games and get this top pick? Because we know what happened in the lottery last year. The balls may not bounce in your favor. Um, so I'll keep watching the Knicks. We'll keep watching the Jets and Giants. We'll be back with NBA 
talk next week on the Sports Blog New York podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it means the world to me, especially when I'm out here solo. It's a little more of a challenge when I'm here solo. I try not to blab, blab, blab for too long, but that's really what happens when you do a solo podcast. You just blab. You just talk. And uh, I try to keep it conversational, keep it light, um, and talk to you guys about some things that interest me and things that I talk about and think about throughout the weeks of our sporting seasons here. So Sports Blog New York Podcast, if you like what you've been hearing, go on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, drop a little rating and review that means the world to me. Hit that subscribe button. And if, if just, you know, if you have a moment, why not? Just write something. You could say something you don't like. You say solo pods, get them out of here. This guy stinks. It's better when you're talking to your friends. It may be true. It may be true. But that's what I want to hear from you guys. So drop in those ratings, drop in those reviews, and thank you, as always, for listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Shout out to you, and have a great day.